0: Should we get started? Yeah, we'll just, I don't know where Peter is, but. Good morning, church. So lovely to see you. I have no idea where Peter is, but I thought we should just get the service started because we're after 10 o'clock now. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I'm Lucy. Uh, You sometimes see me up here in some capacity doing music. Uh, and it's really lovely to see you all today. How nice has the weather been this week? It's been glorious. I mean, it's been a bit, a bit hot at night, but it has been nice. Um, but anyway, I thought we will get started with some songs. So let's all be standing up and we're going to get started with The Lion and the Lamb. To save, He's here to set the cat is free. But who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of oh, Judah is roaring with power and fighting our battle. Sins out of the world, his blood breaks and chains Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him. Who can stop the Lord, Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? Breaks the chains every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb every knee will bow before him very nice all right we're going to continue with the battle belongs to the lord heavenly hope will to the land. The battle belongs to the Lord. No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. The battle belongs to the Lord, and we sing glory. The power of darkness comes in like a flood. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's raised up as to the power of his blood. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory. All When your enemy presses in heart, do not fear. The battle belongs to the Lord. Take courage, my friend, your redemption is near. The battle, battle belongs, belongs to the Lord, and we Sing that again. And we sing. And who we, we sing love.
1: Take a seat. Amen. The lion and the lamb. Good morning, church. Welcome home. How are we going this morning? Are we well? Great to be with you again. My favorite time of the week. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Peter. It's my great joy and privilege to serve as the minister of the word here at this place, here at church in the marketplace. So, a big welcome to all of you, particularly a few new faces, a few visitors I see this morning, and if you're watching online from home this morning. Friends, we are in the middle of our journey through the mighty book of Exodus. Yes, Carol. <laughs> Keiko and Master, great to have you guys with us. They were baptized as part of our church family, I believe. Great to have you guys with us. Yeah, great to have some returning uh, visitors and a few other new faces. So if you're a Church in the Marketplace regular, um, please make yourself known. And say good day, please make them feel welcome. We'll be having some, uh, some fellowship after the service at morning tea, so please come and make yourself known there. We are looking at the story of the lamb. So I thought it was appropriate uh, to sing the lion and the lamb this morning, the lamb that was slain. We're up to that part of the wonderful book of Exodus now, where we are at the final tenth and most devastating plague. Pharaoh has hardened his heart and is refusing to yield, to let God's people go. And despite warning after warning, plague after devastating plague, one final plague is coming, Uh, what we call the Passover. And we are finding out how there was only one way to be protected from this most destructive force in all the cosmos, and that was was with, with blood of an innocent, helpless creature. We'll be looking at how this first Passover points forward to another lamb. And if you know the Christian story, you'll know where I'm going with that this morning. But please know that you are welcome here in our midst here at church in the marketplace here this morning. If you're a CMP regular, we'd like to let you know about a few things. We'd love you to be giving uh, electronically if you can, to be giving your tithes electronically. If not, there is a box up the back for you to be giving some cash to help the the ministry here in this place continue into the future. If you are a regular or a visitor, please know that we would love to pray with you this morning. If there's something that is on your heart that you're wanting to let go of, that you're wanting to hand over to God, please come down the front and an elder will come and and pray with you and and be with you, hear your story, hear your concerns, and and present them to God, to let them go, to leave them at the foot of the cross. So that's at the conclusion of the service this morning. Please come down the front. Otherwise, it's uh, out to morning tea. Um, But if you are able to help out before you head out to morning tea, we will need some help packing up for pre-polling is here in this space again this week. Uh, We'd love you to be praying that we can in some way connect with the voters, with the punters that are coming into our space. Um, James has asked if you could just pack up the chairs and then he can um, stack them in the Trinity room next door. Um, the stage will also need to be packed up, but he will need uh, to show you some guides with that. But if you're an able-bodied person, please stack some chairs at the conclusion of the service. That would be super helpful. We'd love to have you join us online every Thursday. We have a Thursday morning prayer group just for half an hour from 8.30 to 9 o'clock. So if you can't come to our in-person prayer group on a Tuesday morning, Thursday mornings online via Zoom, contact me and I'll give you the Zoom link to, uh, to come and pray with us every Thursday morning. Easter will soon be upon us, so Easter at church in the marketplace will begin with Palm Sunday with an Easter egg hunt, so you've done this before, we're inviting uh, our friends here in the Bondi Junction community into our space to have an Easter egg hunt, so the little people will be upstairs having an Easter egg hunt throughout the building, hopefully while mums and dads are here worshipping with us, we're hoping that we can really connect with the people that come in, Uh, so please be inviting some people along. If you know a family with young kids, please invite them along to uh, to our Easter egg hunt here at 10 a.m. on Sunday, the second of April, Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. Uh, we are also would love to invite you to Messiah for everyone. A handful of us from our congregation have been uh, learning some elements of Handel's Messiah. How's it going? Do you think, Bill? Are we ready? Yeah, good answer. <laughs> We're still working on it, right? <laughs> Some people like Bill know what they're doing. Other punters like me are there to make a joyful noise. Our performance will be at Lou Gabray Uniting Church in Holy Week on Wednesday the fifth. So it's Wednesday of Holy Week at six thirty PM down at, at Lou Gebray. Uh, twenty five dollars for adults, uh, seventy for for families. So it will won't be just featuring mugs like myself. There will actually be some professionals going to be having a string quartet uh, coming as well. So uh, we're going to be performing uh, three items and handles Messiah and leaving the the real hard stuff to the professionals. So we'd love you to come along. Messiah for everyone, Wednesday the 5th. The following evening will be what we call Maundy Thursday. It is the night that Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. It is the night that he was betrayed. Uh, we are going to have the blood bank in here all week, so we're going to invite uh, the Church in the Marketplace family down to St. Columbus to share with a special Passover meal, a special final Last Supper. Actually we're going to be having a sit-down meal, a lamb meal, a Near Eastern meal, flatbread, a tabbouleh and, and, and lamb uh, down at St. Uh, at Columbus in Wallara. Bookings are essential, yes, Don. Uh, It's the very best lamb, spotless lamb, as you're going to be reading this morning, only the very best, the hand-picked selected lambs just for your consumption on Maundy Thursday down at St. Columbus with our friends at St. Columbus from uh, from, uh, Uniting Heart and Soul down there. But you will need to book in. Bookings are essential because it is a catered event. So uh, come and see me if you are keen to come to that. Good Friday, we'll be worshipping here in our space here at church in the marketplace, 10 a.m. as usual. So Good Friday, creative worship here in this place. And then on Easter Sunday, we're continuing our tradition of a dawn service down at Bronte Beach. Again, a combined church service down at Bronte Beach, 6 a.m. for the early risers. You'll be rewarded with hot cross buns and tea and coffee following the service. And then uh, morning worship back here in this space at 10 a.m. as usual. So plenty of opportunities uh, to gather together as God's family and worship over Easter. If you want any more information, please come and see me. I think that is just about it, other than to say congratulations to Eric and Hitomi back from their official wedding, officially married. It's all done. Well done, brother. We're so happy for yourself and Hitomi. Uh, recently got back from uh, getting, uh, well, doing the fancy, frilly bit, the really fun bit in New Zealand. So, congratulations, brother. Please pass on our, con- on our congratulations to Hitomi as well. I'm going to uh, ask you to spend just a moment chatting to your neighbour, introduce yourself to your neighbour. If you're a Cmp regular, please say good day to a visitor. You might also like to use this time to grab a Bible up the back if you don't yet have a, a, a copy yourself or have it on in electronic format. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 12 this morning. May you might like to ask your neighbor the question of, have you have ever had a debt erased? Have you ever been in debt to someone and had that debt written off? How did that feel? Give you a couple of minutes. Go for it. I'll be back with you in just a moment. Really foundational text of both uh, the Jewish and and the Christian faiths. We are we are journeying through the the book of Exodus in the lead up to Easter these these few months. It's been a wild ride. We've learned how God has uh, has raised up this fellow Moses, this uh, this rogue, really, this fellow who, well, he's a bit of an outcast. He's actually he was a, a, an exile. He's actually a murder, uh, truth be told. But God has nevertheless called him to go and speak to the most powerful man in the world, despite the fact that he's slow of tongue. He might have had a bit of a speech impediment perhaps. So not a very likely man to lead God's people out of slavery. They've been in bondage uh, down in Egypt for about 400 years. They found their way down there following uh, Joseph, bringing his family down there. Joseph of Technicolor Dreamcoat fame and They've obeyed God's command to go forth and multiply. Now they are a mighty nation. They've grown to be a nation, but they are enslaved. They are in bondage to the people of of Egypt. Moses has been raised up and has has commanded Pharaoh. Gone to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And then we learned last week how, well, Pharaoh was foolish. Pharaoh has hardened his heart. And he responds with his his somewhat arrogant question back in in chapter 5. Who is this God that I should obey him? He was living in a pluralistic culture we learned last week, a culture with, with many gods very similar to ours today, where we all like to be our own God, don't we? So Pharaoh is wanting to know, well, who is this God? In the land of many gods, who is this particular God who pretends to have some control over me that should have any influence over, over me? It's okay that you have your God, you do. You have your little God here, but as soon as... You start to think that he has any influence over my life. Well, that's when things uh, start to get a little bit, a little bit hairy. So he says, "Who is this God that I should, that I should obey him? What's so unique? What's so unique about your God? What's so impressive about your God, Moses? What makes your God so special? What makes this God so irresistible that I should obey him?" Well, today we are going to get the answer. Today we're going to get the answer to the question of who is this God that he should be obeyed. He's going to answer this question in devastating fashion, in what we call the Passover or the tenth and the final plague of Egypt. There's been nine that have gone before, if you weren't here last week, each one of them devastating, but each time Pharaoh has hardened his heart and refuses to yield And so Moses comes to him with one final request. Please, let my my people go. So God is about to answer Pharaoh's question, his arrogant question of who is this God that has some sort of say or influence over my life. He's about to get an answer. And I want you to look what is at the center of it all. Look at what is at the center of God's answer to this arrogant question in the middle of it all. At the center of this foundational meal for both Jews and for and indeed for Christians is, is a lamb. The center of it all is the bloody death of an innocent life, a helpless victim. This is counterintuitive this is revolutionary stuff this is, this is countercultural stuff that the center of it all is the the helpless victim that pays the price in order that others might live. There's no other faith that's really like that. This is revolutionary stuff. So let's let's uh let's tune back into God's word in Exodus chapter 12, the first 13 verses. This actually goes over a couple of chapters. We don't have time to read it all. Just the first 13 chapters we've got on screen for you here this morning. The story of the Bible, the story of creation, the story of ultimate reality. The story of the cosmos, the story of your salvation and mine is, is, is the story of the Lamb. Let's have a look. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must... Share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and... Put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire, with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, with your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Let's pray. Uh, Loving and gracious God, please bring this passage to light for us this morning. This foundational text, Father, may we see it perhaps from a new angle, a new perspective we hadn't seen before this is. Familiar to many of us, perhaps new to some of us. So, Father, regardless of where we are on our journey with you, reveal yourself to us, we pray. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And the people said... Amen. So God has called Pharaoh over and over and over again, let my people go, release them. They're grinding poverty and slavery. Uh, but Pharaoh was stubbornly refused. So he sent these terrible plagues that we looked at last week. And now one final devastating plague is about uh, to unfold. Uh, God says he will pass through Egypt and strike down the firstborn from the greatest down to the least. He says in verse 23, if you've got it open in front of you a little bit later on, he says, a destroyer is coming. A destroyer is coming upon the land. Uh, Last week we talked about how if you you try to strain against God's good life-giving laws for how to live in this world, things are bound to go wrong. Things will start to break down. Uh, we unleash forces of destruction and chaos. We looked how the plagues are, in fact, like almost an undoing of the good creation uh, that God had, had set in place. We see this on many, many levels when we defy God's good commands. If we uh, defy His command to, to not rest to not take a day of rest, if we, if we overwork, if we make work a, a, like a god or, or an idol in our lives, things start to go wrong. Things start to break down, don't they? We, we, we get we get stressed we, we suffer breakdown we suffer physically we suffer emotionally we suffer relationally don't we we suffer we suffer spiritually if we if we if we try to hold on to grudges and and, 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 and hatreds for others it's not just pastors and ministers tell you but but doctors and counselors would tell you it's not good for you you're going to suffer breakdown you're going to suffer emotional breakdown relational breakdown perhaps even physical and, and spiritual will break down. Well, this is what's happening here. Pharaoh is setting himself up against God. He's he's, he's he's putting himself in a place above God. He's setting himself up as God, as master and commander of of his own life. And it's it's causing destruction. It's bringing pain, not just upon himself, but upon his whole his whole nation. And now a destroyer will come... Uh, A divine judgment day is coming, like a preliminary kind of judgment day is about to be unleashed. The destroyer is about to run through Egypt, the greatest military power, the greatest political power the world has ever seen at this point. There's going to be nothing that they can do to stop it. Their big army will be helpless against this destroyer. Their magicians and their sorcerers will be useless against it. The locks on your doors will not be able... To stop it, you'll be helpless against God's destructive force. There's only one thing that is going to protect you. There's only one thing that is going to be able to withstand this destructive force from the most powerful being that breathed the cosmos into existence. And what is that one thing that each family is going to need? A lamb. A lamb. A lamb is going to save you. I'm going to be saved from the destroyer by Shaun the Sheep? It's, it's crazy, isn't it? It, it, it? It's really counterintuitive. The meekest, most vulnerable of, of, all, the, of all the animals. I'm not, uh, I'm not a farmer, but I did live amongst farmers for a few years of my life. And I saw this firsthand, how vulnerable lambs were, how completely helpless lambs were, uh, we were living amongst uh, farmers, Carly was teaching, I was working in the bank, but we had plenty of mates in the Baptist church where we were worshipping that were living on the land, they were, they were farmers, they were graziers, and I remember one night we went out, we used to go out shooting with the farmers, and it was lambing season, and, and, and the flocks. this uh, fills, they were gathered together in the middle of a paddock, huddled together, the mothers, the ewes with their lambs. The mums were looking out, all looking out guarded with their lambs at their side because you shone the spotlight out amongst, out a little bit further, about a hundred yards out, little pairs of red eyes. Foxes looking to pick off the lambs. I couldn't, it was so blatant and so brutal. The foxes knew what was on. They knew that there was easy pickings to be had. The mothers were all they could do was just sort of try to stand guard and huddle together and hope that the farmer, the modern-day shepherd with his modern-day uh, shepherd staff, might protect them from the foxes that was trying to pick off these defenceless little animals, really with no protection uh, at, at all. Uh, God says the only way that you're going to be able to face this destruction that is coming Is by calling on the blood of of a lamb, of these innocent, helpless, defenseless creatures. He gives them some very specific instructions. He says to kill the lamb, eat it with your family, Uh, tuck your belt in, sandals on staff at the ready, be ready, be ready to go. Um, Unleavened bread is a symbol. You don't have any time for bread to rise. This is haste, be ready, make it a priority. This is the imagery here. He says, kill the lamb and, and, and daub paint some of its blood over the top of your door frame and, and down the sides as, as a sign of the protection that you are seeking shelter under the blood of the lamb. So this is all pretty confusing stuff, pretty confronting stuff, I think. For me, what modern Aussies, what's, what's going on here. But we do need to look at it in, in context, I think. Uh, later on in Exodus chapter 22, and then over and over again in the Mosaic Law, um, we read that the life of every firstborn actually belonged to God. Every year you had to sacrifice to redeem your firstborn. It's a theme right throughout Scripture. We had to give our first fruits, the very best to God. Your firstborn belonged to God. That was, that was the deal. And every year they would have to to pay, to redeem their firstborn son. If you wanted to keep hold of your son, you had to pay to, to, redeem, your, to redeem your firstborn. They, the people knew this. They intrinsically understood this. Even back before this episode, back in Genesis, chapter 22, with this, this infamous episode of Abraham taking his son Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice uh, his son Even Isaac looks around and says, Dad, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham responds that God himself will provide the lamb, son, hoping against hope that God will indeed provide a lamb so that his own lamb doesn't have to pay the price for his own sin. We are in debt to God. We have a debt to sin that must be atoned for. Not a popular concept, but it is the spiritual reality that is presented to us over and over throughout Scripture. And I know a lot of people really object to this today—that someone else should pay the price for for my sins. But think about when you when there is a real grievance, when there's a real crime committed, if there's a real something goes wrong, if someone wrongs you, then then there is a barrier between you and that person, isn't there? There is a gulf, there's, a, there's something that's breaking your, your relationship there. Imagine for a second if a, a murderer or a violent criminal, a, a, a rapist, is caught and is convicted and found guilty. Imagine if the judge was to say, well, he's really, he feels really sorry about it now, so we'll... We'll let him off. Would that be justice? It would be a devaluing of the lives that were taken, wouldn't it? It's not justice simply to, to say, oh, well, nothing we can do about it now. We'll, we'll simply let him go. would be an outrage in the community, wouldn't it? We would feel like it was a devaluing of his, his victims' lives. And, and there would certainly not be a deterrence for anyone thinking of doing the same either he would pay or, or, or we would ultimately as a, a community. So psychologically, sociologically there's no such thing as a, as a real serious wrong that can be just forgiven without some sort of payment, without somebody atoning for what has, has happened. I think uh, one of the best people that explains the need for God to, to be a, a God of both love and of justice, a, a, a wrathfully loving God, is, is the Croatian philosopher and theologian Miroslav Wolf. I have quoted him before, but I've got a couple of quotes on the screen for you that I think really brings it home. Miroslav Wolf lived, uh, being a Croatian, he's a Protestant theologian um, currently a, a, at Yale, but he, he lived through some of the worst of humanity of the 20th century, in that that war in the Balkans, in in that shocking war in the former Yugoslavia, and and he, and he addresses this issue that many of me, we modern Westerners, kind of object to with this this notion of a God that is just peace, love, and mung beans, that wants to shower rose petals on you and wrap you up in His warm embrace, without actually thinking that there is a price to be paid, that God's wrath is sometimes justified, that judgment is. Is justified. He says, I used to think that wrath was unworthy of God. Isn't God love? Shouldn't divine love be beyond wrath? God is love, and God loves every person and every creature. That's exactly why God is wrathful against some of them. My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was the casualty of the war of the former Yugoslavia, the region from which I come. According to some estimates, 200,000 people were killed and over 3 million were displaced. My village, my village, and cities were destroyed. My people, shelled day in and day out. Some of them brutalized beyond imagination. And I could not imagine God not being angry. Or think of Rwanda. In the last decade of the past century, where 800,000 people were hacked to death in 100 days. How did God react to the carnage? By doting on the perpetrators in a grandparently fashion? By refusing to condemn the bloodbath? But instead affirming the perpetrators' basic goodness? Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? Though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. Listen to this. God is wrathful because God is love. Does that make sense to you? Does that help fill in some of what other people in the world have to deal with. And look, I put my hand up. I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Looking around the room, I know some of most of your stories. and I know most of you can't, but there are people in the world that deal with massive evil, that can't just be waved away. Another little quote I've got from Miroslav Wolf talks about, well, it has a slight little dig at people like you and I, perhaps, who have these rather pretty ideas of of a God that is not wrathful. He says, "If, if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. The only means of prohibiting all recourse to violence by ourselves is to insist that violence is legitimate only when it comes from God. What he's saying is that Believing in a God of justice and of wrath actually is a way for you and I to not respond in wrath, to actually leave it with an all-knowing, all-wise God. I think that's profound. You guys on to say my thesis that the practice of non-violence requires a belief in divine vengeance will be unpopular with many in the West. But it takes, a, it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis that Non-human violence results from the belief in God's refusal to judge. In a sun-scorched land, soaked in the blood of the innocent, it will invariably die with other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. I like that final phrase, other pleasant captivities of, of the liberal mind. If we are sitting in our nice, comfortable Aussie homes with everything we possibly need and think that God shouldn't be acting with justice and wrath on occasion, then we haven't really understood how the world really is for, in many places for many people. So that's a little bit of an insight to leave with you because I know many people do struggle with the God of violence, particularly when it comes to the Old Testament. Love to chat with you more about it. Love to chat about it uh, with you if you want to chat more. But let's crack on uh, with where things are at this first Passover. Uh, every single house in Egypt that night, in every house in Egypt, whether you're Egyptian or Hebrew, uh, had either a dead son or a dead lamb. It was one or the other. In other words, the lamb got what the son deserved, the lamb was a substitute. God passed over the houses where there was blood painted over the very public door frames, a very public manifestation of your faith, by the way. Think about that for a moment. The lamb paid the price so that the firstborn didn't have to. And think of those firstborn sons sitting down at the meal that night, looking at the table, looking down at the roast lamb, uh, thinking the only reason I'm not dead is because that is. Or looking at the fire the next morning and seeing its remains in the fire. The only reason... I'm not dead is because that is, or walking at the front door and realising the only reason that's not my blood is because it was shed by this animal. Uh, verse 29, later on in the chapter, goes on to describe what happens. Uh, the Lord, the destroyer, does indeed come. There is wailing uh, throughout, throughout Egypt. Um, Pharaoh, uh, down, has lost their firstborn, there is. And in the appalling aftermath, Pharaoh summons Moses and says, go, finally relents, finally says, go, get out, take your people, leave, leave us. But I want us to see that the need for sacrifice didn't actually end that night, church. Our need for sacrifice went on. These Mosaic laws of sacrifices went on. If you know your Old Testament, you'll know these sacrifices went on and on and on, year after year, generation after generation. There was still a debt of sin to be paid. They, they needed a deliverance that was deeper than from mere physical bondage in Egypt that night. You actually needed a, another lamb, more sacrifices, year year after year the problem was that we have a deeper need, a deeper need for an even deeper salvation. we have a de- bigger debt to pay, a deeper spiritual bondage to pay. and I, I hope you know where I'm going with this. if you've been in churches for any time you should know where I'm, I'm going 1,400 years later, give or take there was another lamb, amen on the night at which he was betrayed Jesus. Christ celebrates the Passover with his friends, with his disciples. He tells them to go prepare for the Passover. He says, prepare the Passover, and he stands at the table. So he takes the place and is about to present the Passover meal. He stands in the place of of the father or the presider of a traditional Passover meal. But there's two radical changes. There's two radical differences from the generations that have gone before two shocking changes as a matter of fact to earth-shattering changes the first earth-shattering change is this as Jesus stands up to speak he takes some bread and they would have been expecting him to say this is the bread of our affliction right that our ancestors suffered but instead he stands up and breaks the bread and said what well you tell me what does he say this bread is my body what this bread is my body. He's saying this is, this is my body that is going to be broken. My body is going to bring you freedom. It's going to bring you liberty. Freedom not just from a physical bondage, but a deeper healing, a deeper liberty. It's going to bring you healing and deliverance from sin and death itself. My body will bring you freedom. And here's the second shock. He's standing there at any Passover meal. You had the bread and you had the wine. We're familiar with this, of course, in Christian circles. But in every good Passover meal, you also, of course, needed the lamb. There's no lamb. There's no, in all the accounts, there's no record of any lamb being present. This is a Passover meal without the lamb. A Passover meal without the lamb. What sort of Passover meal is this, Jesus? You can't have a Passover meal without the lamb. Of course, Jesus saying is saying here, we do have a lamb. I am your lamb. I am the one whose body will be broken. I am about to give my life for you. I will bring you ultimate salvation. Back a millennia ago, God said, I will bring you out politically. I will bring you out physically. But Jesus is saying, I'm re- I'm." actually bringing you out spiritually. I'm bringing you out from underneath the very curse of sin and death that was placed upon you back at the fall, back in Genesis chapter 3. That's why John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John gets it. He understands it. John chapter 9, I don't know where, John 19.33 points out that that, John, that Jesus' bones were not broken. He was a spotless, perfect, flawless Lamb of God. He was our, our perfect sacrifice. He's without blemish. And then go to the very end of your Bibles, in the book of, of Revelation. <laughs> in the book of Revelation, the final consummation of, of all things. There is a slain lamb sitting on the throne of God. Can you believe it? A slain lamb on a king's throne? If you're making up a religion, you you couldn't invent this kind of stuff. If you're going to invent this stuff, make it up to sort of draw power to yourself and invent your own religion, there's no way you'd be putting this sort of stuff in there. This is an upside-down kingdom. This is radical stuff. You would never have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is radical, life changing stuff. To be a Christian is to behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and it is to transform our lives, it is to conform ourselves to the likeness of this Lamb. Of God as I was writing this message as I was writing this something I'm gonna to have to go through all of this again in a couple of weeks on Good Friday but then I thought you know what that's okay because every Sunday for the for the follower of Jesus is Easter Sunday amen we are the Easter people every day we are the Easter people every day our lives are to be marked by this same sort of self-giving self-sacrifice giving of one's self loving those who are around you with a sacrificial sort of a love and it should eliminate any sort of arrogance out there the jewish people coming out of egypt knew that they were no better really than their pagan egyptian neighbors same too we aussie christians should know that we're really no better than the most hedonistic cashed up aussie bogan out there our salvation has nothing to do with us It's all God's work. It's all by the grace of God because he gave his son as our Lamb of God. As Wolf points out, if the truth you hold to in your religion, where the world says, oh, religion's just going to bring about hatred and, and war and violence. Well, that depends on the truth that you hold to. But if you come under the protection of the blood of the Lamb, if you hold to that truth, then you see that you are no more deserving, no better off than even the worst kind of person out there. And it will not lead to war and oppression, but to peace and liberty and flourishing societies. History has proven that to be true over and over again. So unlike the world, the cross where our lamb was slain, says true glory, true greatness, true achievement is actually found by serving giving your life away in love to others, even if it means suffering to do so. And some of our brothers and sisters in Christ suffer to the point of death to this very day. It means knowing that I can't save myself, no matter how hard I try, knowing that all my worldly prestige, all my worldly possessions will ultimately amount to nothing, that I'm completely, wholly in debt to God, that it's only by coming underneath the blood of the Lamb, under the protective blood of the Lamb, that I can truly find freedom and deliverance. So, friend, can I invite you today, if you haven't already done so, to yield your life, surrender your life. Say, I can't do this. I can't save myself. I can't possibly resist you, Lord. The only thing I could possibly do is say yes to your love In Jesus Christ, can I invite you today to come under the protection of the blood of the Lamb and live. Amen? Let's let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is a difficult passage, a challenging passage. But we do pray for your help in indeed yielding our lives, handing over our lives, humbling ourselves. To say, Lord, we cannot save ourselves. This is all you, Lord. This is all you're doing. Thank you for the gift of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we no longer need to go on sacrificing lambs and goats and pigeons. It's done. Thank you that it is done, that it is finished, Lord. Thank you for the blood, the saving blood, the atoning blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place that we might live. Humble us. Teach us, use us in love to be similarly self-sacrificial this week. May each of us go out using Jesus, the Lamb of God, as our example to give of ourselves in sacrificial love for the world around us. In Jesus' name. All the people said? We're going to stand and sing. Indeed, worthy is the Lamb. Thank you, guys.
0: Lord, thank you for the
2: prize you paid,
0: bearing all my sin and shame.
3: Let's pray for our world. Mighty God, you are in the wind that moves across the waters, that whispers in the night, that will not be contained. You see more than we can ever see, and you do not look away. We know that you whisper through the wreckage in Turkey, calling life out of death, directing those who work night and day to resurrect life from the ruins. We know that by your will, children, elderly and animals were saved. We marvel at your presence amid such tragedy. And we know that you uphold the protesters in Georgia who bravely face down soldiers Mm -hmm. and uniformed armed agents in the worldwide fight against evil. Mm -hmm. Heal the the wounded and sustain the weary. Open the hearts and minds of those driven by fear to commit atrocities against your children so that they might lay their weapons down. Still, we know that Ukraine remains one year after the world watched the initial attacks on its people and their way of life. But with the soldiers and citizens who have fought for so long and lost so much... Continue to unite the nations to stand with those being persecuted in this unjust war. We know that you are a God of life, raising the oppressed, binding the wounds of the injured, restoring hope to people, hiding because of hate that has found its way into their doors. Protect the innocent, provide for the widows, the orphans, the sick and the grief-stricken. Drive a spear into the wheels of those on mission to harm and fill the hearts of those targeted for violence with courage, resolve and faith to follow where you lead. Now we know that the schoolgirls hospitalized in Iran have been poisoned because of their peaceful protest for freedom, heal their young bodies and Mm sustain their resolve to expect and work for the right to live freely, to thrive, to become the people you created them to be. For we know that you're with them And we know that you are with us as we watch, often helplessly, from a distance. Yes, we know that you are a God of justice, who sets the prisoners free, who leads the enslaved to freedom, who weeps with those who suffer, and who can and will and does breathe life into dry bones. Help us to be still and know that you are a God, even as we pray. Shepherd us. Of God beyond our thoughts beyond our fears from death into life we pray in the precious name of Jesus amen amen
0: we're going to stand and sing our last song there is power in the blood <laughs>
1: the blood of the Lamb, the wonder-working power of the blood of the Lamb in your working, in your playing, in your voting this week. Go out in the power of the Lamb, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can it can it wait till next week? No. Okay. <laughs> Come on.